with some Pharisees. Some Pharisees were sitting there. These Pharisees had come from all over the place. They come across all the villages of Galilee. They come from the region of Judea. They'd even come up from the capital, Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal all who were ill. Now, there were some men in this town, and they were carrying somebody who was paralyzed on a mat, taking him to Jesus. But they got to the front door, and they couldn't get in. The crowd was too big. So they took him on his mat up the stairs around the out of the house and onto the roof. And then they made a hole in the roof, and they lowered their friend down right in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Can you imagine that? And Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees started thinking, who is this fellow? He's blaspheming. Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to them, why do you say that? Which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then he said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. And he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, the man got up, picked up his mat that he was lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone who was there was absolutely amazed. They praised God. They were filled with awe. They said to one another, we have seen remarkable things today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that account that's been recorded for us, for our good and for our benefit. Lord, it's a dramatic one. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that you will make it alive for us today. And by your Holy Spirit, you just direct us to the things here that will do us good, that will teach us and instruct us as your disciples now on mission and in ministry in your name. Lord, inspire us, teach us, shape us in the way we should go. In Jesus' name, amen. So there we are in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 17. If you found it, I'm just going to walk through some of it. We'll do that together, see what God highlights to us. And then, as I say, I'm really keen to pray for the sick this morning. We've seen a number of these encounters now that people have had with Jesus. This is another one where somebody was healed. I know sometimes the emphasis is elsewhere, but we mustn't forget, forget the fact that people were healed when they encountered Jesus. And we've got people amongst us, we know, we've been reminded of it again this morning, who are ill or have things that they need to see breakthrough on. We want to stand with them. We want to give them opportunity uh, to know Jesus coming into their situation. So here we are, verse 17. The start of verse 17 says this. One day Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law were there, and they had, they'd come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And for fear of stopping at every sentence, I was just startled by that opener. And it's not uncommon. It's in many of the encounters. That one day, it was one day, one seemingly ordinary day, people going about their business, but we know the end of the story now, when God stepped in, intervention came, breakthrough arose. Someone was healed that day. 
We've been thinking about our own testimonies. They came out in our prayers, wonderful as they were. We've remembered, oh yes, it was one day that God had answered my prayer. That delivered a baby. When I was saved. When I received the breakthrough. It was one day. Well, that's all it takes. One day. Seemingly ordinary. You know, I want to see more one days in my lifetime. Do you? Whether I'm involved in it or whether I just hear about it, I don't mind. I want to know about more of these one-day moments where God's kingdom advances and breaks out into people's lives in real and tangible ways. You see, today is a one-day for somebody, somewhere around the world. I want to see more one-days. I want to see more people healed and saved and filled and set free. I want to see more remarkable miracles and provisions and transformations in people's lives and answers to prayer. This is not a history lesson as we go back to these encounters with Jesus. No, it's inspiration. It's a catalyst for these one days to happen again and again and again in the people we know and are amongst. Okay, well, we could we can take a while. No, here we go. Uh, this is a really important bit. At the end of 17, verse 17, Luke adds this commentary. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. That's not an insignificant commentary from Luke. This account actually is in our Bibles three times, very consistently, but Luke adds this bit. Not the others forgot. He's just drawing something to our attention through his version. You see, Luke is adamant throughout the writing of his gospel that the Holy Spirit had a major role to play in Jesus' life and ministry. He goes through in these earlier chapters, if you want to look at them over the coming weeks, about Jesus' extended family, about Jesus' birth, about his early years. Only Luke gives us these details. And we we love it because we get the nativity and everything else from it. But what he's drawing to our attention to is the role of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary, he tells us in chapter 1. It was the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus' aunt Elizabeth when Mary, impregnated with Jesus, came to visit. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus in chapter 4 of Luke when he was baptized in water, like a dove. People saw it, astounded by it. Then Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the evil one. And what did he tell us at the beginning of chapter 4? He was filled with the Holy Spirit as he went into the wilderness. And when he returned into Galilee, the start of that, he says again, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus stood up in the synagogue, now heralded as the moment he announced his mandate, quoting from Isaiah 61, and the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. It's all about the Spirit, as far as Jesus was concerned. And Luke was drawing this out, and this is one of the first healing accounts that he records in his book, in his version, and he just wants us to note, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. There's other stuff in this passage we can draw out and be encouraged by, but let's not get any more clever than this. It's the power of the Lord that's amongst us to heal the sick. The Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise God, we can be. It's his promise. We must be filled with the Spirit every day. We can be by coming to him, by asking of him. We must live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit is our New Testament echo. We must be in the Spirit, just like Jesus modeled. Yes, Jesus was fully God, and he, he, he had those divine qualities that we don't have. Yet, as he ministered, as he was on mission, he was like you and me, a human being, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. So not only is he someone to marvel at, 
as an example, but he's, he's someone to follow, to copy, to imitate in the way he met with people. You see, every encounter with Jesus in our preaching series is called Encountering Jesus, is encountering the Holy Spirit, actually. His Holy Spirit was on Jesus. And even you can see how Jesus ministered and engaged with this guy. The Holy Spirit is supernaturally involved with Jesus, giving him gifts, gifts of discernment, gifts of knowledge, gifts of wisdom. Because Jesus was able to discern the faith in those guys in the ceiling, in the hole, hanging out. Oh, there's faith in them. He had a spiritual gift to discern faith. He had a spiritual knowledge to know what the Pharisees were thinking. He wasn't just second-guessing. He wasn't looking at their expressions and imagining. No, he had the gift of the Spirit to know what they were thinking. And then he could also had the gift of wisdom, I believe, by the Spirit to know how to respond to that offense and how to steer it for God's glory and for impact. We need the Holy Spirit, people. When we're going to be praying for healing later, we need the Holy Spirit. The power of the Lord is with us. And uh, then we go to verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, just stop there for a moment. How does the kingdom of God come? How does it enter in? to our existence, to, our, to, to the people around us. Well, I'm sure in all sorts of ways, but this is a wonderful example. It's so graphic, it's so detailed, it's, it's just so glorious. And I feel God would say to us, one way in which the kingdom of God can break out into people's lives is when an act of friendship and an act of faith combine. An act of friendship and an act of faith combined. It just opens the heavens. It opens the roof for the impossible, for the things of God that are possible. And it got me thinking, you know, what is it to be a friend? Friendship's a big thing in our society. We, we hunger after it. And I felt God just say to me, you know, being a friend is carrying someone on a mat. Being a friend is joining with others and carrying somebody on a mat across town and carrying them and then being frustrated at the obstacles but not giving up. He said, being a friend is then going upstairs with this guy, lying on a mat, oh, lower a bit, up a bit. Being a friend is about climbing onto the roof and trying to find a way through, clearing the tiles carefully, then getting some kind of rope system, I don't know, pulley, I don't know what they found, and, and, and lowering him down really gently and carefully. In front of Jesus. Being a friend is hard. It takes work. It's practical. Being a friend takes effort and time. requires diligence and perseverance. And we're often worried, aren't we, about ha having friends. It's a very capitalist thing. Having friends. Owning friends. Possessing friends. Just look at the language. God wants us to be a friend. That's where he wants our focus to be. To those he's put around us. We often worry, do I have enough friends? Do I have enough friends? Well, I think God would say, he wants, he's concerned more, do you have enough capacity to be a friend to those he brings along your side, into your midst, and in, within your radar, when they need a friend? Now, we can be sitting around like the Pharisees there, thinking and analyzing. I don't think the kingdom of God's going to break in like that. 
Or we can be those who carry. The active verb. Carrying people in. Not sitting, but carrying. You see, God has uniquely positioned you and me to potentially be a friend to some in our church, in your church. To be a friend to some up your street, to some at your school, in your workplace. To be some of those from your past a friend to. To be a friend to some from within your extended family, from, for those you bump into. Who's God going to bring into your remit? He wants you to be a friend to. This week, next week, tomorrow even. And you know, this wasn't a random act of kindness. This wasn't coerced help. This was an act of faith. All three biblical accounts of this, uh, this moment sort of says that Jesus saw their faith, plural, their faith, coming through the ceiling. Not one person's, but collective. It was an act of faith together, displayed in action. Pharisees sat in unbelief, but the, the friends opened the roof in faith. The kingdom of God can break in when an act of friendship and an act of faith combine. I can do that. Some of these other things, I think, I can't do this, but I can do that. And the kingdom of God might just break in. At the end of his letter to the Galatian church, Paul says this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, that's, that's the most releasing phrase in this, as we have opportunity, can't do everything, can't meet all the needs out there, can't solve everything on the telly and my newspapers, but as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Acts of friendship and faith. Doing good in expectation of harvest. It's the same kind of thing that they're talking about here. In the world and in the church. It's not one or the other. It's not either or. It's not where your preference goes. No, it's both. It's out there and especially in there. It's both and or. This should be the fuel for us as we serve our community. And you know the ways that we're doing that collectively. As we individually you know, follow God's lead in what we should be doing. As a volunteer, as a trustee, as a chaplain, as a befriender, whatever we may be. As we respond to the needs around us. There's enough, enough need just there. We've rebooted life groups. What are life groups about? Not going to go into all of it, but it's one thing here. Well, if it, if it isn't about carrying someone on a mat every now and then, what is it about? Sometimes people are laid out. At the moment, we've got people laid out very literally. Sometimes people are laid out metaphorically, maybe physically, maybe mentally, maybe emotionally. Maybe you just can't cope. What are life group about? We're the group of friends. We're the ones to be a friend. Oh, I don't really click with them. You know, they're finding a different kind of age and stage of me. No, no, we be a friend to them. We gather around. We coordinate our efforts. We kind of start out, oh, it's just longer than I thought. Oh, there's some obstacles. We've got to go up the stairs. Oh, no, we've got a roof to get through. But with a simple act of friendship and the simple faith of what we just know we just got to get this person to Jesus. We can do a bit of practical support, but we can do some prayer support. We tend to have at life group, don't we? A mat, someone has a rug. We get them up in the middle, don't we? Stand there, we want to pray for you. We can do that. We can lower them into Jesus' house to be by Jesus' feet and pray for them. And stay praying with knowing that we're praying for them. We know that Jesus will do them some good. That's all I come with sometimes. By way of faith, Jesus will do them some good. Let's pray for them. 
Just a few things to highlight. Uh, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, he said to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. We know that forgiveness is the bigger issue for Jesus. We've seen that in some of the previous encounters. Healing does come, but forgiveness was his agenda. Again, you can look through the preceding chapters of Luke and just see how much that was uh, just echoed throughout all of the pages and all the chapters and all the stages of Jesus' life. But just to note, really, that it wasn't just the friends who had faith. It was the one lying on the mat in this instance. And it had to be because you can't be saved by someone else's faith. You might get healed by someone else's faith, but you won't be saved. Your sins won't be forgiven unless it's your faith. And yet he said to this guy on the, on the mat, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith, not excluding the guy on the mat, including. He was part of this. We can often, I think in a way, probably revealing some prejudice in our heart, think it was the other guys that got round. Now you need this. We're going to get you there. Well, I don't want to go. Well, you're lying on the mat. You've got no choice about it. I don't think it was like that. I think he was in on this. I think it does portray a little maybe prejudice in our heart that we think of somebody who's suffering or ill, or they're the passive one. Not necessarily. Not when it comes to faith. I think he was in on this. He might have even organized it. He might have coordinated his mates, look, come to me, come at noon and get me to Jesus, however which way. I've asked a few others, don't worry, you're not on your own. Because when he got there, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He saw his faith. You can only be saved by faith. Claire said it before. Friday Club are learning it. I think we can learn it. Many people today still need that forgiveness encounter with Jesus. And uh, as those of us, as those who are on mission in Jesus' name, we need to bring that message. Your sins need to be forgiven. I know it doesn't kind of gel well with today's culture, but they need that. People are growing up without a concept of sin. People are growing old with consciences that are shot. In this kind of post-Christian atmosphere that we live in, in Britain particularly, um, if anything, forgiveness is assumed. God's loving. He'll forgive me. I don't have to do anything. It's just there. He didn't have to do anything. No, No, it cost Jesus something. And it's only attributed to you. It's only activated by your faith. This message is so pertinent still today, although it doesn't always sit comfortably with those who are hearing. And then lastly, let's look from 21 to 25 when we saw the healing. The Pharisees thought, well, who is this guy? Blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And then somehow he ended like this. I want you to know, verse 24, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up and took what he'd been lying on, went home praising God. It's a wonderful encounter Uh, Just one thing to draw out, really, and this is part of our message that as guys and gals on mission, we need to be bringing to people, bringing to those that we're praying for on the back of these cards for a a more deeper conversation with. It's, you know, Jesus is God. It's a forgotten message, I think, uh, in our culture, in in Europe particularly. Jesus is God, by the way. (laughs) People even use the Son of God, but they don't mean it like divine they, they mean he was just, well, he's come from God. He's an offspring of God. Somehow God was involved. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses believe. It's not the same. Jesus is God. That's why we submit to him. That's why we say he is Lord of our lives. He's in charge of it all. We must be those who help people understand this. And Jesus was doing it right here and right now. I mean, it's a funny thing as you look through the Gospels, especially in the early pages, that Jesus at times seemed to say, oh, no, no, keep that shot. Keep that quiet. Don't tell anyone. 
The leper in the preceding passage, he got healed. He said, don't tell anyone. Really? I thought we meant to share testimonies. Does he go to a different church than us? No, I think it's a bit confusing at times, but I think what was going on was Jesus was gradually revealing the true extent of his identity. Yes, he wanted people to believe it, but he wanted to last the three years that he needed to be around to train the disciples to do the stuff he needed to do so that his crucifixion was at the right moment. And I think he was just doing that somehow in how he kind of drew back, shared a bit, but sometimes with a bit of ambiguity. But here, we use this passage to demonstrate in our Just Looking course that Quincy runs a few times a year, that Jesus, is, Jesus did claim to be God. Firstly, he implies it by forgiveness. The Pharisees understood this. I'm, I'm thankful the Pharisees were here, because without them, I might have thought Jesus was just forgiving them for making a hole in the roof. Oh, I forgive you. <laughs> or forgiving him for jumping the, the prayer queue. You know, I forgive you. Or, or forgive him just for interrupting his meeting. I was talking, you know. But no, thankfully, the Pharisees were there thinking these things. Jesus picked up on it. And we now know that Jesus was, was pronouncing forgiveness from God for all of their sins. They got that because they realized, mm, hold on a minute. He's either saying he's God or he's saying he's God. I mean, there's no other option. So the, he either is or this is blasphemy. And they concluded that because they didn't believe. So it's helpful. They thought this. Jesus was claiming to be God. Secondly, he demonstrated it by his healing. And thirdly, I can't go into it at length, he used this code word, the Son of Man. It was the first of 25 times he referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now think about it, even today. If, if we describe Jesus as the Son of Man, you probably think that's a funny way of just saying you're a human being. Uh, I think that's probably how they interpreted it at the time immediately. But in time, the disciples came to realize that Jesus was referencing a mysterious prophetic figure that Daniel referred to in his vision. Read about it in Daniel chapter 7, where this one, like a son of man, came. Uh, after all the, these earthly kingdoms and empires and emperors came and went. Yeah, they were there for a while, and then they went again. Another one came up and went, and then one like the Son of Man came. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power from the Ancient of Days, the Heavenly Father. And the nations worshipped this one like the Son of Man. Hold on a minute, this can't be just a man. This can't just be a human being. And his kingdom was everlasting and never passed away, and it will never be destroyed. What, an eternal kingdom? Unlike all the empires of history? Yes. That son of man. It's a claim to be divine, but it was slightly coded. I don't think the Pharisees would have picked up on it yet because it would have led them more to accuse him of blasphemy. The Romans wouldn't have picked up on it yet. And they, maybe Jesus and God and the Spirit didn't want them to yet because any usurper to the emperor in Rome would come to a sorry end very quickly, as was the case a few years later for Jesus. We still need people today to know that Jesus is God. The 1.8 billion Muslims who think he's a prophet. The 7.5 million Jehovah Witnesses, some of whom are in this area, who think that Jesus was an angel incarnate as a man. Not God. 14 million Jews, most who think that Jesus was a false messiah. Let alone the true messiah, let alone Messiah God. God Messiah. The millions growing up in post-Christian Europe who think Jesus was a good man, a moral teacher. We can say, yeah, Jesus healed me of this. Jesus, you know, was with us in that setting. 
But we still need to communicate that Jesus is God himself. So we get to the end of the passage, skip it through a few bits, and verse 26 ends like this. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I want to see some remarkable things today. So with our remainder of the time, we're going to open it up for prayer for healing. You know, prayer, praying for one another is an act of friendship of faith. It's like lowering somebody on a mat right in front of Jesus in faith that he will do them some good. Yeah, we can do that. Amen.